You're about to listen to an episode where we talk about hunting. So you might be interested in my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. To get it, go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. From this guide, you will learn how to get a deer hunting license, obtain a firearm certificate, and get permission to hunt deer on a chosen piece of land. Everything is explained in simple language and in easy-to-follow steps. Get my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. Simply go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. This is episode 146. Have you already subscribed to my newsletter? It is very important to me, so all of you subscribe to my newsletter. So go into the description of this show and click on the link, put your email address, and you will get that newsletter roughly once every two weeks. And you will not only get notified about new episodes of this podcast, you will also get a priority access to my uh, blogs, articles, uh, some of my predictions. Like in the last newsletter, I uh, put a piece about the seal call in Ireland. I'm predicting that in the coming months, there will be a seal call. Uh, so kind of like at environmental articles that you might be interested in. And also notifications about the events where you can see me live uh, speaking. And speaking about the events, there is one coming up on the 27th of May uh, in Oxfordshire or Oxfordshire, whatever you want to pronounce that. Uh, one way or another, it is called Environmental Debate Live and Unscripted. And it is organized by those lovely folks from the uh, People's Countryside Environmental Debate podcast. So that is a live debate. And I am going to talk about whether we can still consume meat while taking into account the environment and welfare of animals. So if you're interested, I am inviting you to this uh, debate. It's uh, 27th of May, so there's a, uh, still a good time to organize everything. You can buy the tickets by clicking the link that is also in the description of this show and also in the newsletter. So, okay, uh, having this out of the way, Today's episode, I am talking with Emmanuel Rose. Emmanuel is a experienced outdoorsman, uh, fly fisher. He's fishing mainly on the dry fly for an anadromous fish, meaning salmon mainly. He's also a hunter, uh, turkey hunter mainly, and uh, also an author. Um, he wrote a series of children's books, and uh, he wrote them for his uh, grandkids, but really, they turn out to be pretty good books. And so, uh, yeah, it turned out into uh, a, a business for him, I guess. So we talk about this as well. But the main uh, thrust of the episode is multi-generational outdoors teaching, meaning how to get kids outdoors, how to get them interested in nature. And, you know, like if you're interested in something, then you will protect that something that you're interested in and love. Um, so to ensure the future of nature, conservation, and also outdoor pursuits like hunting and fishing, uh, we need to educate uh, young generation, next generation, kids, children. And uh, this is what Emmanuel does through his books. So in the episode, we started talking a, bit, a little bit about the hunting and fishing and the realities, how, it does, how does it look like uh, on the other side of the pond in the U.S., uh, Emmanuel is based in South Oregon, North California. And then from there, we transition into talking about his books and his motivation. And, uh, you know, like why kids are not spending uh, as much time as they used to in the outdoors. Um, 
There are many reasons for that, and we touched on most of them. So that's the episode. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And once you're done and you did enjoy it, uh, leave me five-star rating. Whether you're listening on Spotify or, or Apple, uh, give me five-star rating. This is great help for me and for the show. Okay? So that's it for the introduction. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Emmanuel Rose. Emmanuel, welcome to the show. Good to hear you and good to see you. Thanks so much, Tommy. I'm excited to be here and talk to you today. You're, you know, we had this exchange before we started recording the podcast and you're talking about the uh, multi-generational outdoors teaching. Uh, that's a subject that is very interesting to me and a lot of listeners. We spoke many times on the podcast about the importance of, uh, you know, uh, getting children into the outdoors and educated about all that. So we're going to talk about this, uh, but before that, I would like you to um, give us a little bit of an uh, you know, introduction to yourself, you know, what's your background. Um, you're an angler, you're a hunter, but you know, like, I just would like, like to hear it from, from you. So uh, yeah. I guess, what's, the, what's your story? That's, uh, that's how they say it in the US. Yeah, that's right. right? Yeah, what's, what's your story? yeah, that's a funny thing. You know, I'm going to digress here, but that's a funny thing that um, I'm not a native speaker, obviously, as, as my listeners know it, as I, you know. And like in the US, it's perfectly normal to say, like, what's your story as an invitation to talk about yourself. While in Europe or in the UK, like, what's your story? It's something that you're going to hear from the policeman at the, at the scene of an accident. <laughs> right. You know, like, all right, what's your story? <laughs> so anyway, I digressed. Yeah, no problem. Uh, let's see. My my family is uh, from uh, Central California, so near Yosemite, and uh, and so that's that's where I was about two hours away from Yosemite, and um, I got to grow up uh, trout fishing um, in in all that area. And uh, but my family very orthodox. We call it orthodox fly fishermen. Um, so uh, we <laughs> dry fly only. Uh, fly fisherman and um and then we we definitely we turkey hunted and and rabbit hunted and uh deer hunted a little bit of bird hunting and ran uh, german shorthair pointers uh, for a while while i was growing up and um and then when i got uh, got done with high school then i moved to humboldt county which is a very northern part of California so I could uh, go and try to catch some steelhead and go after the anadromous fish and yeah and so then you know we've been all over all over the world fly fishing and, uh, and oh really yeah just, yeah okay so you're really deep into that yeah what was your what was your like a like a biggest or most memorable trip well the trip to New Zealand everybody should go there at least once right to go and experience uh, just the, the massive, massive, massive fish taking dry flies uh, in crystal clear water. Um, so, so I guess you're you're orthodox fisherman yourself as well. Yeah, I still, yeah. I still, um, you know, I have learned how to spay fish. Uh, that that was 
kind of that was uh, something that we didn't have when I was growing up, but it's been a, a real uh, treat to learn how to how to do that um, on the like the Deschutes River and uh, Rogue River, uh, those bigger Western rivers. You need need a little more reach. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. And now I run a spring annual, and uh, and so you know I bird hunting in the fall and uh, steelhead fishing in the in the winter. So that's uh, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> that's, uh, and have you have you uh, been uh, fly fishing for any of the tropical fish for for the uh, you know pompanos or GTs or these sort of uh, yeah I went uh, I did a trip down to Belize and, and did that program for the the um, bonefish and uh, you know baby baby tarpon and, and also fish which, okay, okay you know it, it's fun and it's it's nice to be in a tropical location and uh you know occasionally have a human cigar and uh <laughs> <laughs> catch those those bonefish are amazing but there's a, like a steelhead a salmon fishing that is the main thing that is the main appeal to you yeah that was the uh i actually did a, a little documentary movie about it uh About steelhead fishing called the treasure is steelhead that was that was my take on it and uh, it was a it was a long adventure to be able to actually catch the first one because it's it can be complicated <laughs> yeah yeah especially that you're very specific about your the method you're using right yeah the, yeah so, so you're not gonna compromise just to get the fish you're swinging flies that's right down in the cross that's a man <laughs> uh listen Emmanuel. so while while we have this subject i mean i'm really curious because you are obviously deep into that how does the situation of uh anadromous fish salmon steelhead uh, also looks like in terms of the returns in terms of the population dynamic is it is it looking bleak is it decreasing is it increasing like how's how's that looks from your yeah perspective? you know I, i really try to be a glasses half full guy and uh and, and it's something that obviously that's uh it's deep in my soul uh, these fish uh but I, we're at a, a a delicate crossroads where the fish are not in good shape the habitat's not in good shape and uh i think there's there's ocean conditions that we don't know about that are also not in good shape. You know, these fish are unbelievable in that they'll they'll swim from the west coast of uh, the United States and then end up all the way to Japan and Bering Sea and Russia. I mean, they're, they're, the, the range is inconceivable for me. Uh, and so there's a lot of a lot of threats between um, where where they're spawned and going out and coming back so but yeah in general it's um it's not a good situation i don't know that there's any any solutions that will happen you know that aren't aren't 100 year solutions yeah and among your your you know fishing buddies or or people who you know what is the prevailing opinion about the causes of it Is, is there is there a one that you know most often people point out to or the maybe the one that you think is the main one i think it really is depends on the watershed um, for instance on the Deschutes river they have they have a number of dams on the Deschutes river and, and um so their goal was to draw salmon above these dams and so they were trying to mix the water in a certain way 
so that because <clears throat> there's a number of tributaries that push water into the lakes. Um, the way they mixed the water, they were pushing hot water down the Deschutes River Valley. And so that hot water had two unintended consequences. One was that it caused the hatches to come off at weird times. And sometimes all the bugs would hatch all in the same period. And so um, that then made it difficult for the smolts to survive and exit and escape. So on that river, that was purely, that was purely avoidable uh, activity by humans um, based on some other desire that they had that resulted, basically they, they killed an entire run of fish in order to send 75 fish above the dam. That's that was one of the counts, you know, was, and so it's, you know, it's complicated, like you've talked about on other episodes where the politics of this, it's not like we can just say, hey, this is what makes sense and let's go do it. There's there's lots of forces that are, are pushing into make bad decisions. So you got a tribe involved. You've got the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. You got, you know, electricity production and, you know, Corps of Engineers and blah, blah, blah. So the, all the alphabet agencies. But, but the sum total is that they... They just they killed the Deschutes River steelhead by mixing the water and pushing hot water down the river. Simple as that. You know the other ones. There's lots of great examples now of the habitat loss that's being restored. So the damming, uh, which looked good a hundred years ago, we know was not so good for the anadromous fish, and um, and so as they take dams out, like on the Elwha River or on the Sandy River. Um, in Washington and Oregon, uh, the fish come back very quickly and, and start to rehabitate uh, with with that new habitat habitat available. So, and is there any any uh, issues with predation with uh, you know their seals or or like killer whales or something that I, I heard that I maybe less seals. I, I don't know. I'm just asking. Yeah, because that's a you know I, I'm obviously my questions are targeted because there's a lot of conversation here when i live in ireland and northern ireland scotland um you know about the impacts of seals yeah. and and the predation and you know so obviously this is a, this is another complicated subject because obviously those seals are also de in decline <laughs> and it's it's you know it's a, like a matter of they're competing for shrinking resource which is not only salmon but also you know the trawling is still going on within the six nautical miles of the shore. Yep. So you have a less sprat, less sand, less everything. And it's just, you know, like the walls are closing in. And then they're like, oh, you know, let's shoot some seals to save a salmon. It's like, oh, okay, it's probably not the first choice. So that's what I'm asking, you know, how, how the predation situation looks like in your part of the world. Yeah, there's definitely, I, I think part of it is because they're federal, federally protected animals. So they, they, they used to be predated on by humans hunting seals, right? And now that's, that's out of balance, I guess. It's kind of like the reintroduction of the wolf. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's some states where it's still legal to, sh to hunt wolves and some states where it's not. If they run without any, any, uh, apex predator above them, then they, it causes problems on a shrinking resource. And I think, 
ultimately that's the challenge we have is is um a rational management program that takes um the, the hunter and the and the animals into consideration because um, there's kind of that split there's like the audubon society kind of wilderness people who just won't think it should all just go back to how it was 300 years ago but without hunting and then there's the hunting community which is like yeah we'd love for it to go back to 300 years ago but we'd like to be able to take some animals occasionally and we don't want to have to <laughs> Um, not kill the apex predators because they're killing a lot of the animals we want to go and hunt. <laughs> mm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fascinating how the kind of like a setup is different in the, you know, Europe and then the U S but ultimately the human attitudes are the same. And it's like, it boils down, like, you know, again, the same kind of like a mindset of, of, of groups and, and people. Uh, so it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, listen, and when it comes to hunting, you mentioned turkey hunting. Are you doing a like big game hunting as well? You know, I haven't in a long time. Um, my, my focus is, uh, yeah, is the, is the birds. Uh, okay. so all the upland species and, uh, and then the turkeys. I run a Springer Spaniel. So, uh, I, I gotta keep him, gotta keep him focused. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Can you can you explain uh, for the benefit of our listeners because I'm sure many haven't heard about uh, you know how does the turkey hunt look like and you know I mainly would like you to explain the difficulty of it uh, you know why it's so difficult because I think that a lot of listeners might you know won't be able to put like a clear picture of how the turkey hunting looks like and why it's difficult. It's like, oh, I mean, it's like a big chicken. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I think turkey hunting, if, if you're, if you're somebody who enjoys hunting, turkey hunting is one of the high art forms in that, um, you, you got to locate the birds. And so, you know, there's two, two general styles. One is to locate the birds the night before and then go set up near them. Um, and then call to them in, in the morning from the roost. Or the other style, which is also fun, which is to just run and gun. And, and basically that means you're just, you're walking, you're covering seven to 15 miles a day and, and hitting, hitting call occasionally to see if you can locate them and then setting up very quickly to then call them in. Um, so it, it just depends on what style you like. I mean, the turkeys in the spring are um you know they're coming out of not not actual hibernation but a quiet time of the year you know they've been conserving energy all winter they're coming out ready to breed and so the the toms or the males are um are fighting over the hens fighting for the hens and so uh the veal is set up a decoy of a hen and a, and a jake a young tom um and then be able to call and have the turkey come in and strut is uh is quite a quite a scene um but a lot of times they have really good eyesight so that's the challenge with the turkey is uh you know this this some some of my buddies think that just moving your eyes left to right is enough for the, to spook a turkey <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, man. so um i don't know if that's true or not i'm not an ophthalmologist but uh I do know that they have very good eyesight and it doesn't take much to spook them. So, um, mm, yeah. can you explain for the listeners, Tom and Jake 
and and also gobbler what's uh what does it mean yeah so the, the toms are the mature birds and uh and the jakes are the the one-year-old or less uh males and uh and then the gobbler is just uh named after what it sounds like when they're calling and that's just it's the the, the the male turkey also yeah there are there are also like long beards is, is that as well the name? yeah so that's one of the ways that you can distinguish um the the you can sex them is by the beard and then the beard grows over time um so these are like a like a um reduced uh feathers that goes under like under the neck under the chest of you the, know I, it's, of the it's more like I don't, and i don't know i'm uh exactly but it's more like it's kind of like horse hair i you know horse no. tail so it's it's more it's coarse hair you know? okay. and yeah and it grows over okay. time gotcha yeah. gotcha okay so that we covered for people who were not aware didn't know what's up with the with the turkey and turkey hunts now we know Emmanuel, listen. So uh, that's a that's a hell of an introduction. Uh, you're a pretty much hardcore outdoorsman, dry fly, turkey hunting. <laughs> listen, man. So let's talk about the multi generational outdoors teaching. Um, I want to hear it from your uh, from you. How like what you un what do you understand by this and why this is important? Why you decided that this is something that you want us to do something about? The experience of being out with my my dad, my uncles, my grandfather, um, in you know in in a fishing camp or in a hunting camp, um, being with them in in places where they could be the most relaxed, right? So that to hear the stories, you know, also then of what it was like, you know, fifty years before that, or. Um, so there's that kind of a culture of the family that was that was set up different being in in camp on those trips uh, being uh being instructed how to do things you know in Canada um some of it was uh positive and easy and some of it was hard to learn you know um uh, you get the my grandfather was a tough taskmaster kind of guy and you know there's a certain way to do everything uh uncles were were different and in more nurturing but it um so it, there was the culture of the family and then there was my experience of being out there right and and that closeness to uh sitting on a rock with a a, a gun waiting for a deer to come by but hearing the wind in the trees and hearing a creek in the background and watching the squirrels move around and having time where I was just sitting there, nothing to do, right? That, um, that it, it fills out the, the fullness of being a human in a way that you, you can't instruct or create in any other way. That's, a, that's an important thing you just said there, that sitting there having nothing else to do. I think like this is this is this is well established now and there's a lot of like a good peer-reviewed science that this actually messes with our brains that we don't have this downtime we just we just you know we can reach to our pocket and get entertained yeah and we just ended up being entertained all the time and that's ain't good to our brains no it's not it's not good uh, and we're we're seeing that as uh you know part of that 
the, the negative outgrowth from the lockdowns from the pandemic and um and this whole generation z that's grown up with uh not knowing the world without the internet without smartphones right there's like you're saying a lot of brain chemistry that gets changed um and in the dopamine rush and, and all the those things so um i'd say the happiest times that i spent in you know with my my dad and my uncles and my my grandfather um were were on on those trips or preparing for those trips or tying flies or casting a new rod in the front yard after sunday dinner you know where there's uh just a um a, a space for conversation that where everybody was relaxed and focused on the same same thing and uh and it was supportive and, and nurturing from from their perspective and then like like i said from perspective of of being supported from nature and you obviously think i don't want to put the words in your mouth but do you think that you know youth today doesn't have that and why and why is so is it because there are you know not many uncles and 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 fathers and grandfathers left who are still hunt and fish or is it like the big the kids are just not interested how do you see that yeah no i think the kids are interested and that's what i've seen um is that i mean you could take and i've i have done this where you take hardcore inner city kids who've never seen the snow and you take them on a two-hour drive out of town and you take her to the snow and they're just amazed and you could just see the worry and the, the stress melt off of them right of being fascinated and excited and playful um uh, so yeah the, i think the, the the part the part of the human being is still in the kids <laughs> right but i do think it is um a challenge in that it these these outdoor pursuits do take a considerable amount of experience and gear and knowledge and um knowing where to go and and what the rules and laws are you know even just to go camping without that's not in the campground right like there's a whole whole set of uh of concerns that if if you don't grow up in that kind of family you have to have a mentor um in order to do it and even like for instance the turkey hunting i i didn't ever go turkey hunting with my my family but i've got mentors who are taking me who who are showing me how to do it and otherwise it'd be very difficult for me to just look at a youtube video <laughs> and then go you can't you can't learn a lot of these things in in those ways it takes human to human contact well and the other thing is that you you really need to you you've got to have this want in you to learn and do that and there's often that it's hard to expect that people kids young people will put an effort to learn something and explore something they don't even know exists yeah that's true do you know so so that's uh and and so is that part of your of your mission to spread that knowledge to have that information that oh look at these things is out there you you, you wrote the kids books uh I, i think more than the one uh, looking at the at your website is that the Is that your motivation behind those? Yeah, that um, 
the idea that we have to trigger we have to trigger people into thinking and questioning about these bigger topics so this this current book when aha henry seeds to a tree is about forest fire and about um what what to do basically afterwards and so the book comes with dug for seeds so that the kids can read the book with the parents and then they can go and and have an activity to do also um but it that the motivation was to to influence my my grandson and and granddaughters and um and then i got enough support that said hey maybe this has got some value to some other people too you know i agree i uh like like we said in the in a uh, leading up to the show um and my regular listeners already know that story that i i started hunting kind of like a late in life and you know because i was an angler i kind of knew about all these things going on and i had this drive to learn and find things but i figured there is a lot of people who would like to you know harvest meat for the freezer or whatever and they don't know where to start they, you know they don't have a relatives that are living in the village or in the rural areas and you know there may be 30 something and like oh where do i start so i wrote this guide for you know how to get started in deer hunting in ireland and you wouldn't believe the response to that like so how so many people who go is like oh man this is exactly what i was looking for like nobody laid it out you know step by step what i need yeah and you know i need the gun permit you need this and that gun and you need the you know license and this is how you find the land to hunt and these are the rules and like and and at least here and I, and I think that in general there's not many this sort of information available to people and what i found is that the hunting organizations they are you know they already have a you know all their hunter buddies are there so they're kind of like assuming we already know that and there's like a zero outreach to to recruit new hunters there's, there's you know there's they offer you a training for you know if you want to become a hunter so they're gonna you know train you and give you an exam but there's nothing of like hey this is how you know like before you get to the point that you want to actually go to the training and, and pass the exam there is a hell lot of stuff that leads into that before right and there's nothing there's zero about that and uh, so so i found this was this was kind of uh interesting exercise and you know it, it it allowed me to me to share what i learned and you know how to come over the obstacles but also there's a lot of people interested in that so i totally understand where you're coming from with 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 your ideas yeah and it's interesting because there's uh it's uh, there's always a fine line of bringing in new hunters right and i think that's the challenge is um at least here in the states the guys will take any kid hunting and, and never think twice about it like we're happy to mentor but there, um if it's another man you're like that guy's gonna steal my spot you know he's gonna take take the landowner away from me and you know there's that the, that uh, tribal um, competition that, that kicks in. So um, it is kind of a sticky wicket in that respect. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I, I, you know, this is, this is kind of like a almost catch 22, right? Because if you're, if you're not inviting more people, then there's a less and less hunters and their, their collective 
you know, let's call it power, you know, or influence over policy is less and less. Um, so, you know, my, my, my personal view is on that is like, if we, we, we need more hunters and if it, yeah, and again, this is like a specificity. Every location is different, you know, in the U S probably every state is different, uh, yet alone, you know, comparing, you know, Ireland or, or the UK with, with United States. But I think that overall, um, the number of hunters are dropping dramatically across the world and the you know average age is you know probably pushing 50 at this point and i just you know we just recorded an episode about the future of hunting like if we don't have like a, more people and younger people that you know in 20 30 years you know we might not have an opportunity for for hunting you feel the same about these things yeah let's see i think it's uh it's hard to picture that the in america that there wouldn't be hunting um, but yeah, and I know we need to continue to recruit and, and train and mentor hunters. I, I'm definitely, definitely feel that. And I think it's kind of like the bird hunting that I do. I do do it 80% for the dog. Cause it's so fun for me to watch him, right? Like the <laughs> killing is not, not as important to me as, as you know, being outside, going for a walk, taking the dog, seeing what he, his capacity is. And of course, I love to, I love to shoot the shotgun. I love to eat pheasant or tucker, and uh, but it's, it's it's just the completeness of it. Of uh, you know the hunter's moon in October, and and seeing that rise over the ridge, and um, feeling the connection with with. Uh, humans and animals have been hunting for the millennia you know in that same time period seeing that same moon there's there's no replacing those peak peak feelings and uh yeah yeah how many books have you written uh overall well i've got i've got seven children's books and mm. um Oh, by the way, we're going to put the links uh, in the description of the show. So people who are listening to that, just go into the description of the show, click the links, everything is there. Thank you. Um, and then I've got, I've got uh, a coloring book that goes with that one too. So that way they get something to do as well. Um, and then I've written a couple of books on marketing as well. So, but Okay. So, so you're, uh, you wrote a lot of books. You have a, quite an experience in the think, writing business. Let's well, say. we're at a time... And I think you're doing it also, which is you're providing leadership for people. And, and we're in a time when, when people need and are looking for uh, grounded leadership that's connecting them to being human and connecting them to other humans. So I appreciate mm. what you're doing, Tommy. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it what you're doing. Uh, you know, this is this is this is like I said. I, I feel this is a, this is important uh, to to you know. Outreach that hand uh, to to kids and and give them the opportunity to you know like uh, you're not the first one uh, where we talk about books and we're not the first one but talk about uh, kids books uh, in this podcast um, and you know is your is your goal this is your ultimate goal with with those books is like you 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 know maybe that maybe it's a different question like what is your ultimate goal, you know, like what is the the picture perfect outcome of 
um, someone buying that book for for their kids? Yeah, um, my ultimate goal. I can answer both those questions because the ultimate goal was for me to to mentor Henry, who's my grandson, from long distance. Right, so he we live about six and a half hours away, so I can only see him as frequently as most people would do that. You know, a few times a year, and um, I wanted to. And I wanted to trigger his imagination, but also teach him things. And so the way that I wrote the books are, um, are accurate in terms of, uh, sometimes there's Latin words in there for the name of tree or the track will be, uh, an actual track of what, you know, what a, a uh, Feliz con color, the, the mountain lion looks like, um, or the, I'll note that the grouse are standing still and that's their way of defense. Um, so there's the natural history part of that. Um, that was one of the foundations. Um, and, and I wanted to teach him that and I wanted to teach him, uh, about, you know, good, good manners and being ethical and listening to his parents. And so that's written into the story. And, and then I wanted to trigger his imagination and to see what it would feel like to fly around the world like a red tailed hawk and what he would see from those perspectives and expand his, his view of the world. Um, so that was really my, that was just the, the purest form of saying, wow, if I could just tell him, if I could tell him three things, these are the things. And that's what I want to tell him a lot. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And how does that transformed from something that was, you know, um, catered for your for your grandson into, you know, let's let's go with the, to the wider waters with with these things. What was the, you know, either thought process or maybe what happened that you made that decision? <laughs> well, it, would, it had been a number of conversations with Susan, my, my partner, and. Um, you know, I want to do this. I want to do this. You know how we talk about things. And then, um, I hadn't really done much around it. And then, um, I was sitting on the Winaha river in Northeastern Oregon, um, after a day of turkey hunting and I was tired and, um, just sitting there having a, having a soda and looking at, uh, looking at this little wall that is probably, uh, 150 feet tall and it 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 was a mosaic in the in the coloration of it and um there was uh there was a big dug for a tree growing out of and a hawk that was in and out of that tree and it just all kind of in the the sound of the river and this kind of tired meditative sitting doing nothing um the wall to me started to take on the uh, the, the visual of the Klimt painting, the kiss. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So anyway, it's a, it's, it's, it's a very mosaic piece. That's not very distinct. And so it, it's very, it just triggered that. And, and then it all just kind of came together, the Wanaha river and Henry and the red tail hawk. And I'm like, all right, well, that's, that's the motif. That's the story. And, uh, and then as soon as I got back from that trip, then, um, I, 
I started the process of meditating very first thing in the morning and then sitting down at a computer and working to generate these stories. And, um, and then as I got to a spot where I didn't know enough to be able to do it any better than I hired um, a children's book consultant, <laughs> an office consultant, and I got some help. Uh, and then I hired an illustrator and, uh, and then put it through the process to, to actually get the book uh, together in a form that's valuable. Hmm. Wow. Wow. So I presume that you get, uh, got a pretty good feedback since it started, it, you know, it's, it's sponsored for so many other books as now. Yeah. And then, um, I'm, I'm involved with a, 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 a summer camp down in central California. That's also near Yosemite. And, um, it's called camp Jack hazard. And it's a, it's a camp where they, we, uh, and I, I worked at a camp when I was younger and, uh, it's a wilderness camp that takes every kid backpacking for three days and two nights. So, um, it really provides the kind of experience we've been talking about where kids get a chance to enjoy, uh, enjoy being outside in an untethered manner, but still safe. Uh, so they're talking about using it as, as part of the part of the summer program too, which I had never, never even considered. Right. Um, so there's all kinds of fun things that happen um, as as you put out a creation like this, and people see it in ways that they can use it also. This is this is probably the best thing any you know author or creator can think about. You know, starting something small and then like a genuine need, and then other people seeing a value in it. That I, I think that that must be tremendously satisfying. Yeah, it is. It's it's rewarding, and and you know, I think if if it could be as long lasting as some of those other things, like uh, from Shel Silverstein or A. A. Milne, that's that's what I'm looking to create is a something like The Giving Tree or, or Winnie the Pooh or something where um, where there's this multi generational but forward <laughs> multi generational attachment to these stories because they're um because they trigger enough different dimensions of human of the human in, in the people who are reading and i've got them written in a way that i think also it teaches the parents some things and so you know it's kind of fulfilling for everybody to to get uh, bits and pieces out of it yeah i well man i think this is this is uh you hit the nail on the head here like teaching parents as well kind of like because otherwise you wouldn't need to teach those kids about those things right <laughs> because they would get it from the from their parents like why do you think this is happening like what are the um changes is, is it like a, in the in the general move into you know more technology involved in every day um that this is causing that we're basically losing those skills we're losing that connection right because this is like in fairness this is why you wrote the books this is because we you feel like we're losing something you felt like your grandson is not gonna get something that he would get should he you know was born i don't know 30 40 years earlier like like yourself 
why you like what what are the reasons for that do you do you feel there are something that we can control or is it just well unavoidable at this stage i think it's a great question the what i understand about history is that we as humans are not that much different than than people a thousand two thousand five thousand years ago right we're um, always looking for uh, and at anatomically modern humans <laughs> yeah. right and we're just looking for survival right and if, as long as we're in a psychology of survival um, and not reviewing the fact that we're safe and not really embracing the fact that um, we have have the time and the energy to look deeper into what it is to be a human then um, we're going to be always clawing for a, a bigger house, a nicer car, fancier pair of shoes, right? But that's not new. We, we, we've been dealing with that for 10,000 years um, of this uh, small ego being gratified. Um, so it's always been a small portion of a culture that can look inward and, and, um, and look for deeper meaning in the world. Um, I think the challenge is that there's so many of us and that we um, have uh, the ability to adapt because of technology at such a faster rate and destroy things so much quicker. Um, I think that's the that's the big trigger that, or the big difference that I see. But the humans are the same, right? In, in that, I, I, I believe. Um, so it's you know if if I had the magic wand I would I would wish an hour of meditation on everybody every day right and that would change the world um, and then if I had a second wish it would be that they were able to go and and say how can I change today instead of how can I change everybody else today <laughs> so those those two things would be my magic wand <laughs> yeah you're jumping ahead of uh, of me actually because I usually ask the question along this sword like you know like if you could do one thing or if you can wave the magic wand yeah. and there you go you just came out yourself <laughs> with this i totally agree man i totally agree with with both of those uh both of those points and you, do you think that the role the, maybe i should rephrase the question and ask like do you think that the fact that we're losing nature and the nature is getting deteriorated and there's a less and less and less plays a role into that as well or do you feel like this is other way, other way around and we losing nature because we don't have this you know enough people who would uh, appreciate it being there intrinsically just for the just for being there <laughs> not necessarily for you know timber or this or that or something else yeah i think um it definitely the it it is it, we're replicating the, our internal feelings as a archetypally externally right is what it looks like to me that um we 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 have this this desire to control and dominate um in order to feel safe and and again it's not new it's not anything that it's just and it's not just the europeans who did this or it's you know this has been all cultures so um 
it's a, just about how how those of us who who have a little bit of insight into it and have experienced some of this um, deeper meaning can continue to have these conversations and and uh, and and mentor people to have have them with us. Hundred percent. I, I you know I totally I totally agree with you. Listen, how do you see? How do you see? So this is my another question that you know you already you already sorted out the magic wand one. So my, my other classic question, like uh, the regular listeners already know what's coming. How do you see the future playing out? You know, um, and you know, take a future horizon, whatever you want, five years, ten years, thirty, fifty, hundred years. How do you see? You know, nature. Like, do you think that we're gonna eventually lose all of it, or do you think that we're gonna eventually wake up and uh, try to preserve what's left, or maybe even restore um, some of it? Um, and, and and you know, like, how 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 do you see that uh, coming? And and following on from that, do you feel like a uh, you know activities like hunting and fishing still be around? Or for all the reasons that we already mentioned, in, in including dwindling social acceptance of the activities, which we probably didn't mention, um, that we're going to lose it or not. So wh- wh- how you see the future playing out for nature and for the outdoor pursuits? Yeah, well, I know how I'd like to see it happen. And uh, I have a lot of hope for for the restoration. And I think there's two really amazing projects that, that give me hope. One is the, the ocean uh, cleanup project where they're taking care of the, the garbage patch. And those guys are doing amazing things. Um, a young man, I think he was from the Netherlands, who created the idea and he's had tons and tons of support now. Um, and he's making, they're making great progress in cleaning up the plastics in the great garbage patch and then also from the rivers that are the sources of that plastic. So that I think gives me some of the greatest hope um, that I've had in a long time. The other is the use of uh, of drones to reseed forest lands. In the oh, really? Companies I haven't heard about like that. Like Drone Seed and and some other companies like that. Um, <clears throat> so they're using the GIS technology and the mapping with the drones and able to reseed um, burns and clear cuts and. Um, so, you know, every every tool that a human has created can be used for good or bad, right? All the way back from the rock, you know, you could use it use it to uh, break apart a tree for fire. You could use it to bash somebody on the head. So, these these tools of technology ultimately could be our freedom and give us more time to hunt and fish, right? Um, if we if we can continue to funnel and, and use them correctly, I think the the desire to be part of that process internally to the hunter is is so deeply buried in us that we we we're never gonna lose that. There's, you know, it has to happen. Um, it can be just like the warrior energy, right? That's so deeply part of of humans. Um, you know, we can sublimate it. We can, um, we can have it show itself in other ways. But I mean, you know this. There's nothing, nothing better than the night before getting all your gear together and 
and organized and thinking about what's going to happen and checking the weather and going back and thinking about all the times you've been to that spot, and recounting your experiences and then not being able to sleep all night and then getting up early and then going and discovering the, the mystery of what's going to unfold in that day. And that, that, that desire cannot be beat out of us by any technology or, uh, or any situation, uh, that creative desire to go and experience what's going to unfold, right? That's the magic. I agree, Emmanuel. I agree, hundred percent. Listen, tell us uh, how to get in touch with you, how to get your books. You know everything, everything that people need to know about it. It's WenahaHenry.com, and it's W-E-N-A-H-A Henry.com. And links in the description. Reminder, folks, just go into into the description. You'll have a link there. You can just click. Yeah, and then from there, uh, that's all the all the information is there. And I appreciate uh, the conversation, Tommy, and thanks for thanks for the great questions and having this uh, having this platform. Emmanuel, it was a pleasure. I, I wish you all the best, and uh, you gave us uh, some really interesting perspective. So I also appreciate you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave me five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This is great help for me and for the podcast. And while you're already there, don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter. The link is in the description of the show.